This call may be recorded or transcribed. Good morning, Good morning Ernest. How are you doing? Are you? I am great. How are you this time, Friday? Doing well. I can't believe it's uh, episode six of our the final week of our zigzag project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard you. Uh, yeah, I'm excited too. And I heard you on the uh, the this episode of the Manush uh, published. Um, oh right. Yeah. Yeah. You you have a message there. It's really good. Congratulating her for her, her job and her, you know, her idea and about helping people uh, focus and narrow their path and uh, get them to completion or, or at least start working on them, doing research and finding um, which people or banks uh, in the case of loans can help them. It was cool uh, hearing your voice. Yeah, thanks. Ah, so, uh, what was the assignment this week? So the assignment is uh, to actually take action on on the, your, the path you've chosen. Um, but I have, you know, going back to the previous step, which is to narrow the path to the one that you want to do. Um, you know, uh, a path being too big or, or being too hard shouldn't be an excuse for uh, not doing it or or doing it. Uh, but um, uh, but it, there is know, something about, about breaking it into a manageable chunk, right? It, it, yes. There's no there's no danger. It's not bad to take on something that's too hard, but it is uh, unwise to take on something that is too big and too hard all at once because then you will get overwhelmed and not be able to make progress. And one thing I thought about last week, uh, if I can just jump in with this, was that you have, in some sense, given up everything, right? You have very few material constraints uh, because of your willingness to devote yourself to your passion. But what you haven't yet been able to do is find something you can bind yourself to, right? Like this is the thing that I'm going to do every day or every week in order to accomplish it. And I think that's probably the last um, threshold is finding something that is big enough that it's worth doing and small enough that you can do it consistently. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and yeah, that, that plays into the the, the choices or, or you know, the options that I have. Yeah. So we talked about we talked about that um, smart document type or smart mm-hmm. uh, document creation tool that writers can put all kinds of information into and that mm-hmm. readers can interrogate to find information and find the information that the writer meant to, to be there, such as mm-hmm. you know references to other subjects or, or, or the entire context, uh, terminology usage. So mm-hmm. that uh, that in itself is 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 a fairly big project because you know essentially you're saying hey let's come up with something better than Word, Excel, PowerPoint, pages, something that is encloses all those things and more. Yeah. Uh, let's write that and develop it and then you know let's make yeah. a 
uh, slander or, or you know, you, you right. call them humane objects. I've been calling them like smart objects, but you know, it's the same thing. Right, smart is just so, overused for a lot of things, but yeah. The other thing I thought about, by the way, is that in some ways, I think that is the vision, the original vision of hypertext media in uh, the uh, Xanadu project was, interestingly enough, it was not intended as a technology demo or as a business venture. It was intended as a new way of organizing humanity into these networked communities of practice. And the idea was to try and create a way for people to tap into an evolving community of people playing a pro-social knowledge game. Um, and so it's interesting is that I think the values and vision that led to all of that, the mouse, the keyboard, hypertext uh, from Doug Engelbart, are very much the values that you are trying to pursue, which arguably have been lost in both the technical and commercial uh, applications of that via the World Wide Web. So mm. it's not a small thing, yeah. it is a big thing. Uh, and it's certainly something with a long history to it, but it's, uh, it, it is a very big thing, especially because there's something that kind of looks like it, uh, which makes it hard for people to see uh, uh, what is different and unique and worthwhile. Exactly, yeah. And there's the other one, the one that is uh, uh, building or defining a new way of, uh, a new type of organization that is, uh, mm -hmm. that uses uh, social cohesion and and uh, um, it, it's like the new way of doing business or, or living life mm -hmm. so that, uh, um, you know, it's smart, like it, it uses technology as, as one of its mm -hmm. basic foundations so you know mm -hmm. deals with crypto and, and, and software and it also uh, has values so mm -hmm. you know this the entity will publish its mission or corpus and, and its values so that people can decide whether or not to interact with it according to its values so if, if i had if we were to use that today we would say well we can't deal with Facebook because Facebook is an entity that lies all the time and behaves in a way that is just not uh, helpful, at least for people that like me, that, you know, value honesty and and, uh, and transparency, you know, a lot of companies, specifically Facebook will be like, no, because um, in, they have a public voice where they say, we value your data, we protect it. But then if you, you know, the emails, internal emails that have been public, it, you find out that no, selling data and giving it to other companies uh, is part of their business. And um, in that sense, it's, you, you deal with a two-faced entity. It's yeah. inauthentic. So, yeah. Exactly, it's inauthentic. And so, uh, you know, creating a like we go, we can go back to the uh, uh, origins of cooperatives that uh, it happened in Great Britain or maybe just England, where you know some if it was textile industry and workers that were being uh, supplanted by uh, uh, by machines, and I think they created some sort of 
uh, a, co- a newer type of organization, cooperatives that are, um, well, you know, they cooperate with each other. Well, and, they they, or, or they, right? Yeah, the cooperative yeah. movement is certainly a uh, something we've talked about many times before. Uh, the challenge, of course, has always mm-hmm. been that uh, the nature of cooperatives is such that uh, they work really well at the end state of a system, as we talked about before uh, with the uh, issue of like Uber replacements, right? Is that you have uh, the uh, different life stages of something, and cooperatives work really well at the commodity level. Um, but they're very difficult to make the sort of vertical integration necessary for introducing change in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to take it step by step. And in, in that example, uh, it requires a lot of human sacrifice, a lot of uh, political... But it's not, yeah, but it's not just that, right? What required at the beginning to create something new is efficient implementation of arbitrary choices, right? This is the, 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 you know, the Apple locking Scott Forstall and people in a room for two years to prove that you could scale Mac OS down to a, a touch device. And so that um, level of, let's call it benevolent dictatorship or even really just autocratic decision-making seems to be essential for bootstrapping uh, novel solutions. Uh, after mm-hmm. which, you know, commodification and cooperative uh, decision-making seems to work. I mean, this is, you know, kind of the whole story of the American Republic, right? It's going from a uh, sort of a confederacy to this federal system because they discovered that, you know, with the Articles of Confederation and to a lesser extent with the Civil War, that you know, egalitarian cooperatives are really good at maintaining a system, uh, in a sense, but very bad at innovating. Uh, and so that's always been a tension. But, you know, there's certainly a lot of places where cooperatives make a lot of sense, and it's mostly collusion and, uh, you know, uh, legacy bias and, uh, things like that that keep them from having a significant share of the market uh, of the mm-hmm. economy. So anyway, but yes, but the, this idea of, you know, I guess we would say that the, the challenge is figuring out a way to make uh, cooperation more competitive, if you will, right? Whether that's mm-hmm. political reform or you know, technolo- technological innovation that allows them to um, uh, to succeed in some other way than just uh, hoping that corporations don't play rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, so anyway, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So these were the or the two uh, paths that I identify identified, and um, I was wondering, okay, which one should I decide? Yeah, on? There was the third one, right but, at the end. That you, yeah. Yeah, the, the the one at the end is the uh, the, the, the participatory humanistic democracy. That's what I'm talking about. This. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So there was uh, another one that providing restaurants an alternative to food delivery companies. Sure does, um, yeah. 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 That I. Which was, which was well, a subset of the co- of the co-op problem. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think that my path is something that combines these things. It combines at least two paths. It, it combines the creating a, an organic org type that is based on technology and values and, and moving forward, not just uh, uh, being stationary, but, you know, always push, moving forward, pushing the, the envelope, but in a responsible way, not on this move fast and breaking things situation, but more like let's be, you know, let's consider decisions, let's make decisions, uh, uh, you know, there are humane decisions, um, you know, always keeping the rights of the individual uh, top of mind. And mm-hmm. the, the the new that the new document type that is, you know, we have uh, that where writers can put more information into writers or, or developers or whatever you call it, content creators have this document type that they, they can use and that is a smart object or a humane object that uh, uh, um, can, you can think about it as kind of like a combination of app, database, and query uh, uh, process or, or system that people can use interact more smartly than what we have. Like right now we have... Can I just a different word? Because smart is so overloaded. How do we call it a wise document? Because the goal is not just a wise document, right? And the idea that it's not just about raw information or raw processing power, but it has that idea of, as kind of a nice play on the idea of smart, it's wise. It is it is aware of context. Mm-hmm. It cares about values. Yeah. Exactly, and and it cares about the reader because that's the ultimate target, mm-hmm. right? To, to provide yeah. info to the the reader or the person or or thing that accesses that document. So, yes, it's it's a, a wise document. So I was thinking, may, well, maybe the, I can combine them. Maybe. The yeah. way to create this new document type is to create this organization that is, uh, you know, you put people together that have the same values and you start working together on that. And, um, you know, your values, your your principles guide you towards that thing that you want to create and, and, you know, guide all the members of this organization. So that and there's transparency, there's... Um, you know, sense of community just because you want the same uh, goal. And, um, yeah, you cooperate. So we, you know, to create this new document type, let's say that um, uh, we get together with engineers and and data visionaries and um, people that can contribute a lot and, and share this vision of, a new way of uh, managing information on behalf of people that is, you know, it, it respects them. It, so you just don't write a Word document and, you know, let it go. No, you include a lot of the research that you perform, you put it in the document itself so that, you know, you define words, you define terms, and everything is in there. And you, and this document has like an engine to be able to be interrogated. Uh, by uh, the readers, 
uh, and if we get a lot of a lot of people contributing to this project, and we use the model of the participatory humanistic democracy, where uh, all of them feel that the end product is is part of their their job, it's part of their purpose. Um, you know, you avoid conflict. You, I think, uh, you can create a framework uh, for decision making. Um, and you know you can do many things without avoiding this autocratic type of organization where just one person decides what happens but you know we should also avoid the committee uh, uh, model where you know sometimes things don't move forward because you have a lot of differences when it comes to uh what people think about how the product should be implemented or or targeted Mm -hmm. So uh, you create a type of entity that has uh, memory and can function as a single entity, but without this autocratic type of leadership. So the leadership is the members of the entity. And you make it, you create um, frameworks where uh, people can... Uh, make decisions for the whole community that they can uh, take on and, and, you know, ways to interact with other organizations, with be their um, the normal corporations and, and, and foundations or be them similar organizations. Um, so, yeah, creating this organization with the purpose of creating this product and then with those two things, uh, I feel that we can build something great, but uh, and lasting. Where uh -huh. you know the the organization makes has a consistency in decision making. No, you normally see when corporations change CEOs, you know uh -huh. the, the new CEO might come with okay, let's come up with a new plan for the company, and then people have to change the way they work. Right, because of this high-powered person at the top, uh, and you know, it's like the organization changes it changes personality. Well, it literally does, changes. right? But don't forget that's right? exactly. But yeah, but you know, again, this is this is both a bug and a feature, right? Mm -hmm. Is because if you don't have that, then you get rule by committee where nothing ever changes, and mm -hmm. the tension yeah. between those two is precisely the problem that needs to be solved. Um, yes. And yeah. so, so I think I have a uh, a word uh, for you to consider that uh, if you can accept this would change everything. The, I think mm -hmm. organization is not the right unit of analysis. What I would suggest you consider instead is the word I threw out uh, in passing, which is the idea of an ecosystem. Okay. Is that you have an ecosystem which has multiple entities which can take risks and innovate and fail. Because if you mm -hmm. don't have some entities that are allowed to die, then everything ends up sort of in this glacial stasis. Uh, but the idea is that it's a, um, um, it, is a, it is a governed ecosystem. It is not the, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 
uh, laissez-faire, dog-eat-dog world that we see in nature. Um, but it is a one where the ecosystem participants participate in, you know, it's a PhD ecosystem, right? So it's, it is mm -hmm. governed by a participatory humanistic democracy. And interestingly mm -hmm. enough, there's a possibility that the, the thing that they agree on, uh, which guarantees that people are being responsible participants in the ecosystem, and the thing they share the governance of, is precisely these wise documents. Is that like, mm. you know, hey, uh, so this is, you know, again, it's, it's, a, it's a stretch, but I think it actually makes sense. Is that, okay, we don't want to have to, like, agree on a whole bunch of rules and regulations to govern our participation. But we can say that, let's call it for now, let me just uh, uh, describe this as a magic document for now. Okay, because mm -hmm. uh, you find this in some fantasy stories. Like, like, what if we say that, like, everyone is the ecosystem, and there's a governance system here, but the governance system doesn't tell you what you should do. It regulates only how you do it and how you document it. And so let's let's imagine a kingdom uh, or uh, let's not have a country because that's not even Let's imagine a continent in this magical uh, utopian world uh, of. Uh, let's call it Sophia, which is the Greek word for wisdom. Okay, the continent of Sophia. And these people in Sophia have these magic documents. And the only rule is that anytime you conduct a trade or make a decision, you uh, have to pull out a magic scroll and write down the terms on this magic document. And this magic document is smart enough. It knows not just the public decision, but all the internal uh, secret decisions and conversations that happened beforehand and all the risks and things that you know about such that mm -hmm. the public statement is that you, you it, it guarantees authenticity. It makes sure that the public thing you say matches all the private knowledge you had at the time and it's permanent and immutable. So if you ever go back and, ch and uh, change your mind or lie about something, you can create a change request and make a formal statement and say like, hey, this was true, but now it's no longer true. I have to do this instead, and this is why. And you have to be honest about it. But you have this immutable record of everything that ever happened. And therefore, all trade, all uh, formal relationships, all the history is stored in these wise, in these magic documents. The interesting question is, is that as long as everybody agrees to use the magic documents for everything, then mm -hmm. is, and then, you know, they have a governance process for uh, managing the magic documents as they learn new things. Um, would that be sufficient to create wise governance, wise commerce, and wise organizations? Mm hmm. I like that. It, so, so that's the interesting perfectly. idea. Mm -hmm. So, so um, yeah, right. So this gets to this uh, the little manifesto I threw out this week. Uh, this idea mm -hmm. of revolutionary transparency. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Is is and I think this 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 idea of a wise document or a magic document uh, or humane humane documentation is it's an interesting hypothesis at least that maybe the only thing we need to create a wise society is 
humane documentation is that, you know, um, and, and maybe that's another word even in the ecosystem of society. But I like the idea of ecosystem at least because it has a sense of a healthy balance and mm -hmm. appropriate competition. Like you want bad ideas to die. Uh, you don't want bad people mm -hmm. to die uh, necessarily. You'd like to have them reform. But the way you do that is that the unhealthy, uh, uh, and, and I think the other point is that, you know, there is no, I think it's unrealistic to say, to, it, it, sorry, it is, uh, 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 probably unwise to try to make it a binary choice between these guys are authentic and these guys are liars. Because if you, you, you have to kind of make an arbitrary line and you either exclude something useful or you uh, include something unhealthy. It's probably better to think of it as a continuum, right? Some organizations are more authentic and more in line and more pro-social than others. Uh, and what you want is a system where the more authentic, more pro-social approaches uh, continually out-evolve and out-compete the, the regressive ones. We can, you know, I think uh, it's only slightly politically charged to call one, the you want the progressive organization to out-compete the regressive organization. Is that a fair outcome? Does that make sense? Yeah. Outcompete the regressive. Yes. You want to create a a, um, a a not so much a level playing field, but a, a playing field biased toward authenticity. So yes. the more authentic yes. organizations have it. Because right now, the challenge is, is that in laissez-faire capitalism, for example, uh, inauthentic organizations always have a short-term advantage. Right. If um, and if you can, and you know, one of the challenges of parenting is that you can't actually be honest about everything all the time to everybody, because then you spend all your time, uh, you know, fighting fires and like you know, to our kids mm -hmm. or our dogs, we have to shade the truth or say like I can't tell you everything now, but you know, like what I do, what I try to do a lot is uh, I keep a journal because it's like okay. I can't tell my kids everything now, but I'm going to keep a record of what I did and why. Uh, so I mm -hmm. know that I am accountable to them in the future, that as they mature and grow, they will see and judge me. And that's good. That's necessary. I want them to understand what I did and why so that they can do better, uh, mm -hmm. even if I can't explain everything now. And I think that same idea of a, um, uh, of, like, okay, like, so it's not like you have to share everything with everybody all the time, but it all has to be there. And everyone that's effective has a right at some point to know what was done and why. And I think mm -hmm. that's um, yeah. one way of framing the, um, this ecosystem. So like, you know, acknowledge, and so, so the fascinating thing that I hadn't thought about uh, is this idea of, um, so the, I guess the, the, the conceptual idea, the plot device of a magic document uh, uh, that guarantees immutable authenticity by tracking everything in some uh, appropriate way. And then the mm -hmm. idea is that the reason is, is that the way you bootstrap this is by creating a really crude version of the document and then a really crude version of the community that manages that document and then you let it iterate. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is that there's two people that immediately come to mind, which we should use for our, maybe our next episode. One is a friend mm-hmm. of mine uh, from, Cal- from Caltech, uh, Rohit Tare. He did a startup called Know Now, focused on um, PubSub pub information distribution. He worked at the World Wide Web Consortium briefly. But interestingly, he actually built a hypertext engine uh, slightly before the World Wide Web, uh, but wasn't uh, public or um, uh, distributed enough to outcompete Tim Berners-Lee. So he's been working in this space for quite a long time. And what's interesting, his current uh, startup that I think he's joining uh, next week is focused on this idea of automated governance. The idea is that you, that for your own sanity, you want to be able to encode uh, at least the automatic portions of governance in code so that it clarifies where human decisions are necessary and allows you to, to, to maintain this accountability. And like you know, there's this wonderful mm-hmm. tension where, you know, from an efficiency perspective, you want everything explicit and written down. But from a human perspective, people resist that because they don't necessarily want to be that transparent and accountable. And so he's wrestling with mm-hmm. this issue sort of as a you know, business that he's trying to build for a software as a service. So that's an interesting dialogue to have. And then the second guy that came to mind is a gentleman named Robert Fishkin, who I don't know if I've told you about the Fishkins before. They, wrote a, uh, they literally wrote the book on deliberative democracy. The idea when you face a hard societal problem, you should do kind of what the, the Greeks did, where you have a random lottery of citizens, and you say, hey, you're, you're here for this set period of time to solve this really hard problem. We'll give you a ton of information from a ton of different sources, and then you guys work together to figure out what actually makes sense. Um, and this idea of, uh, I think the technical term is sortition, is that rather than having uh, appointed people or elected people, you have kind of the random jury selection. And you say, you know, hey, you're all stakeholders in here. We're gonna take a random sampling of you, put you in a room, and you have no incentive other than to figure out what is best for society. Um, mm. You know, because uh, it's all, you know, public and, rec- you know, you can have some private deliberation, but the decisions are there and your name is behind it and people will see what it is. And since, you know, it is almost like the, uh, the Rousian idea of your randomly defining a society not knowing where you're going to be in that society. The idea is if you get a good cross-section of society, you basically get that effect for these decisions. So anyway, um, he's basically, one, he's done a bunch of work in his, with his dad, uh, I think James Fishkin, on uh, deliberative democracy systems. and even did it once in California and got a, uh, it was a really good turnout and some really interesting results but it didn't really generate a wave of change for various interesting reasons about our political system. But the second thing that he has done, which is in this, is a great hypertext tool for annotated documents. Um, and this is the idea, uh, are you familiar with the Talmud? Have you heard that word? Talmud? Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D, Talmud. The uh, basic- no. Okay, but you know, you've heard of the, 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 the Torah or the Hebrew scriptures? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've heard of the Jews and, and Judaism, right? So the Talmud is the, is the centuries-long set of commentaries that sit on top. So in the Christian tradition, you tend to have a Bible, uh, but usually you just have the raw text translated. Although there is such a thing as a study Bible where one person writes a bunch of notes. The Talmud is all the notes for like hundreds of years, if not thousands, 
that people have written as commentary on it. So the idea is you have the raw text, and then you have all this sort of explanatory meta text that sits on top of it and provides additional context and interpretation. And the idea is that's part of the, that's an intrinsic part of the document. So he was experimenting mm -hmm. at various points with tools that allowed you to um, make it easy. And, you know, with all of them, it's easy to put these things on top of uh, the systems we have now. Uh, but the, uh, the basic idea is that he's looking at this idea of trying to create documents that capture context and allow this participatory, collaborative, commentary style uh, at scale. And so again, mm -hmm. not saying he succeeded in it, but it's like, uh, so there's two people who work in this space of hypertext and uh, governance. And it's interesting that, you know, that seems like, because I think that the really interesting insight you have by matching up these ideas is, uh, or, or what I'm perceiving is that uh, you need to have some sort of governance, but what is the thing that they are governing? And maybe if they're governing the documents, how people record things, that's enough. That's a sufficient point of thing to agree upon. You don't have to agree on organizational styles or uh, disclosure methods in advance. We just say, this is how you document things when it happens. And, and maybe that's at least a good starting point for a project. Um, so I guess the, uh, put it, let me pause um, and see what you think about that idea as a way forward. Yeah, that's, thank you. That's, uh... Very, very interesting, knowing that, you know, I'm not the only one thinking this way. Uh, well, I know that, but, uh, you know, that there's people actually doing the work uh, currently. And all well, I wouldn't do, say well, that they're doing yeah. the work, is that there, there's people who've been exploring mm -hmm. this idea in various mm -hmm. ways. And so there's a lot of prior to draw, draw from and build upon. But the hard thing to do, mm -hmm. I think I told you this before, is an artist, like I said, your role in this is less as an activist or a, a man of action as the artist, the man of ideas, to paint a picture mm -hmm. of the world as it could be. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I think creating a context to do that, and then, you know, I'm kind of the, the facilitator here. So one, uh, so I guess here's a, here's, a, here's a good question. So you have this vision of this thing that is the, the thing burning in your gut, right, that is driving you to do all this. And having gone through this process, you've kind of settled it. So what? Sorry, just give me a second here. Okay, electronic transaction on my watch succeeded. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. So uh, here's the, here's the, so uh, so your job. Is, so I will try to come up with things to do next, and then your job mm -hmm. is to decide like okay. You know what's going to get me to this vision because you have sort of a a maybe 60 percent formed vision of kind of how you want the world to be and so i'm going to just, so i'll be coming to you saying okay given that you want that it sounds like this would make sense you go oh yeah that's totally it or oh no that doesn't feel right and we just keep iterating on that so here's the first question so i, I know these two guys it's kind of an arbitrary decision but let's uh that I've been working in the space of hypertext and governance in very different ways. Like one guy is an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. the guy is a uh, you know activist. Um, and, but it seems like they're different So one question is: Do you think it makes more sense to try to have like a panel discussion 
where we ask them a couple of different questions and get their responses to see if we can build some common ground, or should we just do it as a series of interviews where we pick them one at a time and kind of pitch them on uh, the different ideas we have and get their reactions? Hmm. Um, that's uh, interesting. Um, I can't make it. I cannot decide right now. I think both of them have uh, the good points and the bad points, right? If you get them, if you get everybody together and we we talk in the panel, that's when you know. I at least for myself, I have a lot of ideas in my head, but mm -hmm. I, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to to express them because somebody else is talking, or maybe I forget and. Uh, you know, they're helpful in that everybody's together and all the and some ideas get mixed in, and you know, uh, we combine the ideas and, and uh, find where things are great work to get great together. The advantage of separate interviews is that if we get a person's um, whole idea kind of unfiltered, we just ask them questions and we get like a let's say a data, a bunch of data. That we can then, as interviewers, uh, kind of sift through and, and decide what's what's good or not, or not good. Maybe we have to do two. Maybe we have to, I mean, do both. Do the individual interviews, and then have a panel that discusses uh, all the uh, the data that are the people's ideas. But that we have, like, let's say, all the ideas of this person because they had time to think about them. And we had time to uh, collect them and, and put them in order so that the panel uses those, uh, that document, what maybe it's even a wise document, but those documents from each person, from the personal interview. And so we have uh, order. We have, like, we're going to discuss these subjects because uh, uh, this participant has this view of the world and these are uh, their ideas. This other one has this other view of the world. And these are their their ideas, and we uh, the first part helped us to create a sort of like a an ordered list of subjects to attack, and we can work at a higher level instead of having to uh, you know the person having to give a history of why he said he came up with or she came up with those ideas. Uh, we have it written down in a document so that we can. Uh, always have something to point to instead of interrogating people and, and having them battle. Uh, you know, sometimes there's discussions that become heated because, you know, people's ideas contradict. But if we have a document to point to instead of a person, uh, it will become a better panel discussion than if you just did the panel and, you know, we just have people in there like to combat or to uh, uh, share conflicting concepts. So we will have to do the filtering and processing of the individual interviews so that we can then have an ordered panel that is uh, focused on the subjects that we think, the interviewers think, that are important and are salient to the subject being discussed. So I think we need both. Ooh, this is really good. Uh, I got several really profound insights out of that. One, I think you're absolutely right, is we should do 
individual interviews first and and actually do a lot of them. And like we get these two and say, oh, hey, there's someone else working in this space that we should interview. And then after we've done a certain set of interviews, okay, now I'm seeing a theme and some commonality. Now let's hold the panel discussion or a workshop where we try to hammer out what is the thing that uh, we, that there's, there's this, you, you have to start with the belief that there is this magic uh, or miraculous uh, uh, reality out there that is better than the one we have now. And we just glimpse it dimly. And if we get people like the, uh, you've heard the story of the 10 blind men and the elephant? Uh, yeah. The, the, yeah, right. Yeah, the, There's the, a poster the, like this yeah. at MIT. Right. And, and everyone sees one piece of it. It's a fan. It's a tree trunk. It's a snake or whatever. <laughs> and then yeah. the idea is we'll be, let's, 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 let's find all our blind men who are at least groping after this elephant and we interview them. And, and, and then the other thing I love is that this is actually, I think, the way progress is made is first you have to like sit down with somebody and just understand that their reality as deeply as possible with their quirky, idiosyncratic take on things. And then afterwards we normalize that into sort of common shared wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to have a space that does both. You have to let people be as individualistic and quirky and radical and innovative and heretical as they want to be. And you have to have a safe space for that. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can't just stay there. Uh, you need to then go through the normalization phase of really like, okay, how does this all fit together and where is the overlap and where is it sort of constructively and destructively interfere to create something that's true. And this, this is the hard problem of society, right? You want all the people to be themselves, but we also have to live in it together. And so that's the other fascinating thing is that if we go through this arc ourselves, we are then living uh, this process of trying to allow people to be themselves, but then bringing them together so they can become their best selves, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in relationship with each other. Um, and then the um, other thing is that, oh, wait, we need to keep track of this process as we are doing it, right? Mm-hmm. We, and it's like, oh, this is. Uh, the thing that we are doing sort of version zero. We're going to create a series of documents and artifacts that track our thinking and our decision-making process, this podcast uh, and other documents like, okay, so we'll do it really badly doing this mashed up collection of awkward existing tools, but at least we'll do it with the right values or at least a iteratively better set of values. And then this becomes, okay, having done this really badly, what tools would allow us to do this better? Uh, and then we just keep iterating on those conversations and the artifacts and the systems we're using, and that's how we build the future. Excellent. Yes. Yes. It sounds okay. So the last thing amazing. we need is a name, so we have something to pitch to people and to say this is a thing mm-hmm. we are doing. And the hypothesis, which I will propose as actually being our season four, um, uh, is this idea of um, uh, rule by documentation, right? And and not in the idea of like there's a past series of rules we are supposed to follow, but the, hey, like, hey, when you make a decision, document it. And the better Mm -hmm. you document it, the better the decision will be. 
And as long as you have this, this immutable trail of past documents, you can always make better decisions in the future because you have the access to all of the past. And the more organized mm-hmm. it is, the better decisions you're going to make. And so I think the, the, the right technical term for that would be uh, docucracy. It's not a bureaucracy. Docucracy. It's not democracy. Mm-hmm. It's docucracy. It's, mm-hmm. it's governance by It's like, is it possible that just by creating better documents, we can create better governance? And I think mm-hmm. that is, is a, I think that's a phrase I could sell to at least our first two uh, guests as, hey, you've done versions of this in your own personal and professional careers. And we are trying to do it. We're doing it. So the pitch is that season four is a research project where we try to find people who are uh, working at the limits of the uh, docucracy of trying to create better formats for documenting conversations to, to enable better governance and get their unique takes, which may be wildly different, but we just do this season four is we're just doing this to educate ourselves on what people already know about doing this as well as to kind of promote this idea, like this is actually a thing that uh, is worth doing. And then from there, you know, we, we keep talking. And then, you know, maybe the season finale is where we have this panel discussion or workshop, whether it's on the podcast or a Zoom session or God help us in person, where we actually mm-hmm. try to summarize the lessons learned and say, okay, this is version zero, which is incredibly brain damaged. But at the end of version zero of Docucracy, assuming, you know, we either say, oh, yeah, this is the right name and the right thing, or, oh, crap, this is the wrong thing, but it points us to what the right thing is that we didn't understand, and, and then that takes us forward. And mm-hmm. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah. It sounds like a great plan. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, as a writer, yeah. I think this place, uh, uh, yeah. As a writer, I'm thinking uh, the first thing we have to do is collect all these terms and define them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you know that's the first step to me. You, know, you have to define these terms so that uh, we use that as a foundation for the rest of the, the work. Yeah, and the yeah. Um, so. I think that's our episode title, and that'll be the finale of season three, uh, Docucracy. And then uh, we first, actually, the first step is to, start, is to collect the people. So I think yes. I should start a, a Google sheet with the names of the two people that I know of. And then we just start scheduling them for, and you know, we, if we can work on this time slot, great. We may have to flex a bit to uh figure out how to meet with them uh but mm-hmm. i think that there is a, a opportunity to uh find out whether this idea has resonance and whether we can find a community of people who are interested in things like this that we can turn into a movement exactly yeah i'm very right. excited about this mm-hmm. i am too this is this is cool it, it is turning out way better than i thought and um, I, we will exchange some emails and uh, let's keep this slot. Uh, you know, if we can't schedule an interview by next Friday, you and I can at least talk about the state of the project and kick off season four. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Ernest. Great conversation. 
and mm-hmm. I will talk to you soon. My pleasure. Yeah, see you soon. Okay, bye, Ernest. Bye, Ernest.